Okay, you ready? Here we go. Um, what's the theme? What's the theme of the summer for Galatians? Heart set free. Yeah, there we go. And and the focus that uh, that we want to really emphasize today is the fact that God is doing something among us, and uh, that you should experience. And I invite you to think about, as we're hearing Galatians, a story that took place 2,000 years ago. Bring it forward uh, as you understand what Paul is discipling the people back in Galatia. Think about him discipling you here and now. So the idea is that God wants to have our hearts set free. And this was the the moniker that uh, F.F. Bruce gave to Paul. He was the apostle of the heart set free. So as liberators, we're called to help people understand the freedom of ours in Christ. But the question is, as we move into Paul's biography, um, what happened to Paul that set Paul's heart free? Especially the focus today is Paul's past in the sense of what he was giving himself to. So let's start with, again, being a Roman uh, citizen as well, Paul was very familiar with the worship that was going on in Rome and the worship that was going on in Jerusalem. Being the man that was bicultural, uh, he could go back and forth, but he would obviously see this uh, building that was uh, attacked through the years. And many, may, You may have seen this building, but it's called the Pantheon. Pantheon meaning all or everywhere, and Theo means God. This is the compendium of the Roman gods as you would go into this and there are stories as you go up and you would see statues in uh, in the pantheon of the various gods the Roman Roman gods when when the Jews were <clears throat> in Galatia they were they were accused of being atheists of an empty room they said well what temple there were no statues they didn't have any gods it was just kind of an empty room they said well what's this this is not our gods have statues and you guys don't so they, they knew, uh, Paul knew that there was a number of think, thinking uh, thoughts about the different ways people thought about God as there are in across the world <clears throat> as you get into missions, uh, not just a handful of God, but if you go into the Hindu temples, there, there's a, a plenitude, a, a plethora of what are the P words can I come up with? That, that there's a plurality of gods, but there are so many gods in the Hindu religion. And you get this same kind of thinking that says, well, it doesn't make a difference. Just let everything exist together. So you can have a god of, of uh, Turkey and the god of Israel and the god of Egypt, and you have all these different gods in the Old Testament. Well, let me go back into something that I think that you understand, you hear certainly, something that Muhammad Ali said was kind of characteristic of a lot of people. It doesn't make a difference. Religions all have different names, but they all contain the same truth, don't they? And you hear that. Of course you do. I think the people of our religion should be tolerant and understand people believe different things. Well, of course, Oprah comes along and says, well, yeah, that's true. We should do that. Does it really make a difference? Because there are many roads that lead to God. Does it make a difference what you believe? Don't all paths lead to the same end? End? Not God. End? 
And therefore, the purpose of religion in many people's mind, what's the goal? We talked about that last week. What's the goal? What are they going for? Well, Zavi Zacharias has this quote, and I love this quote, because people misunderstand the goals of religion. They say, my premise is, says Zacharias, is that the popular aphorism that all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different simply is not true. It is more correct to say that all religions are, at best, superficially similar, but fundamentally different. And that is true. That was the old style of thinking, but our, our, our new 21st century says, you don't even have to think about religion. And so my son John grew up watching House, and he really has this cynical, skeptical. He says, if you could reason with religious people, there simply wouldn't be religious people. And so the shifting that's taking place in our country has gone so far away from what Moses taught a long time ago in the Shema. Every morning and every evening, they would open and close the day with this verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. So let me tell you something. You know this word monotheism. Mono, one, theism, God. Polytheism, there are many gods. And you're going to be in tension when you bring these two words together. So there's an idea that there's an existence of gods. But then there's another word that is monolatria. Monolatri. It's the worship of these gods. It's not only the gods that are there, but the different kinds of approaches, systems, symbols, rituals, disciplines, everything that's prescribed to that end of whatever the end is in your religion. But there's one worship of one God without denying other gods is monolatry. But henotheism, this is a new word, I worship one God and I allow other people to worship their gods. And that's what you're talking about in the Old Testament. When Israel moved in and out of the land, the promised land, they had an understanding about Jehovah. Their God was the God of Israel, the living God of Israel. But he was one among many gods. And so it took a while before Israel became to understand that that uh, God was not just the God of Israel, but he was the God of the universe. And so it came to the Isaiah. Isaiah began to talk to uh, his people through... (laughs) Goodbye, Siri. Uh, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is the God who formed the earth. He did not create and made it. He established it and he did... And he did not create it a waste place, but he informed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no one else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark place. And I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in a waste place. 
But I, the Lord, speak righteousness and declaring things that are upright. And on and on through the prophets, you would hear through Daniel or through Elijah, through Jeremiah, he is the one God, and you have forgotten him. You've exchanged him for gods that weren't gods, and therefore worshiping the true living God, and then you substitute that for a false idol, statue. And I've seen so many of these statues. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have mouths, but they don't speak. You hear this over and over as Israel would go and worship some icon, some symbol, some calf, gold-plated. In, in Nico, there is a, a, a Buddhist seminary, the home of hear no evil, speak no evil, uh, see no evil, they have gold, they have gold, uh, they layer their, their idols with paper gold, thin gold, and then the, it's moist up in Nico, the area, that the gold flakes off. And so you find these gold statues, and they always are repairing the gold on the statues <laughs> because it looks like they've got measles or something. What's wrong with that? That God's got its gold falling off or something. And so they're always having to maintain their gods. Well, there's so many ways of thinking about God. As there were inside Israel itself, in the Jerusalem church, there were different kinds of thinking about the Lord. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were Essenes, and there were Zealots. They wanted God to overthrow the political government. And Paul talks about the countrymen that he had, that they were a group of people worshiping the God of Israel, but they had come to the point of forgetting the God of Israel, and so they lost the northern tribe, northern ten tribes, and they, they were being reduced, reduced, reduced down to the tribe of Judah. Here's where we pick up in Paul's, in Galatians, and when Paul says, I want you to know, uh, Galatians 2, he says, verse 11, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor I taught it, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. I didn't quit. I wouldn't quit. And I tried to destroy it. What was driving Paul at that point was a religion that Paul had embraced with zeal and jealousy and passion because it was his religion. It was his manner of life. And it says in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond, out of the box, my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely more extremely, I mean, how many adjectives do you need? Zealous is enough, extremely zealous, more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Oh, here's the kicker. You can fall in love with religion, as Paul, I believe, did. He loved being a Pharisee. He loved getting things right. He loved the control. He loved being on top. He loved setting the agenda. He, had, he was the one out front. You can fall in love with your ancestral traditions. You can fall in love 
with your freedom, you can fall in love with the search and miss God himself. And yet, for Paul, when he came to Christ, or better said, when Christ came to him, uh, Christ took all of that apart and dismantled the way Paul thought and left him with pieces. He had a lot of the pieces that were right from the Old Testament, but what he didn't understand, Christ would help him understand. But it wasn't easy. And therefore, for Paul, he had to shift from a human perception to the divine perception that the gospel that I preached, which was preached by me, is not according to man. It is not based on socially construct, constructed systems as a result of research or personal interpretation. It's not politically motivated. It's not nationalistic. And most certainly, it's not one of the marketing, successful, trendy religions that are going on that you can offer in the world. What happened to shift Paul was this. Paul met Christ. Period. That was it. That was enough. You don't need anything, and that shifted. So when Paul begins his message, go back in the beginning of the passage, he starts with this. Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of man, forget the human level. But through Jesus Christ, God, the Father, the Father, the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from the present evil age. Something took place so radical when Paul met Jesus that when he understood Christ before him, it shifted something in his soul so much that even the word paradigm shift doesn't work. It, doesn't, it just goes, you're outside the box with a paradigm shift. You're doing new things. Paradigm shift is an important change, no doubt, that happens when the unusual way of thinking about or doing something is replaced by a new or different way. This was not Paul. Paul was not going through a midlife crisis or a paradigm shift. Uh, he wasn't having a, 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 an out-of-body experience. He was something, something was happening inside of him that he fell into place in a, the history that God was doing something. And what you have to hear Paul say was this. You have heard of my former manner of life. My former manner of life in Judaism. And so I used to persecute the church. I used to study the Torah. I used to go to these conferences. I used to do all these things. I used to be talking with the translators and the scribes and Aramaic and Greek. <coughs> Excuse me. But it was my former manner of life. What I used to give my life to, I let it all go. And therefore, I had zeal for Israel. I was the leader. I was the top dog. But you understand the difference between patriotism 
the, the loyalty and the love of country that's good and healthy, and nationalism, belief that your country is superior. Paul probably would go in both of these because he fought for, but he had religion, but he left religion. And why did he leave religion? For three simple words. He is risen. When Paul understood that this Christ who stood before him, he, he was the resurrected Christ. He was the Messiah that would bring about our salvation. Paul understood that that work on the cross that Christ would do, which he, which he understood and thought there was a cult leader, that this Messiah couldn't be a, murder, a, a murdered criminal. But this Messiah would be our justification before God. This one would be the redeemer, the restorer of Israel. But not just of Israel. It would be the, the gift of grace given to, not only to the Jews who believed in him, but to all the nations. And when Paul began to, as he starts the book, he says, in him, because he is risen through the baptism, we are risen as well. And therefore, our former manner of life is also done away with as we understand who this risen Christ is. And therefore, Paul will go on to say in Thessalonians and Galatians and Ephesians, we proclaim him, him. It's about him. Naturally talking to everyone, admonishing, teaching everyone to present everyone complete in him. Now, you can go back to think about Paul being called to the Gentiles and put yourself in the situation because you're going into a pagan land of Galatia. This isn't the Jewish territory. This isn't the one that's familiar with Moses and David and, and, and the prophets. But this will go to do, Paul would go to do evangelism. And the word is proselytize. This is a word we don't like to use because it has a negative connotation. Pros means toward and uh, ekomai means to come. As Jesus would say, come. Come ye who are weary and heavy laden, come. Same word, but the idea that you're inviting people to come not to the Judaism manner of life, the Judaism way of worship, but to come to Christ. Paul would say, uh, I'm going there to proselytize and bring them into the gospel. But that wasn't that wasn't unheard of because the Pharisees would go out and they would teach in the homes and the synagogues. But Jesus had a word. Remember what he said about those Jews who were going out, who were teaching? Woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law. Woe to you, Pharisees. You hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, get this. You make them twice as much as a child of hell as you are. So they were doing evangelism, quote. They were doing proselytizing. And then he would say, woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. It means nothing. It means nothing. But you're giving them nothing. Here, here's the temple. Say, I swear by the temple. 
is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, these are, these are techniques, these are uh, uh, magic words, abracadabra, I say in the name of the temple, I say in the name. If you buy into that, that's what you get. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, but you shut the door You set the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Wow. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who wish to enter. So you you hear Jesus really being strong, says, what you're doing means nothing. Your religion is really anti what I'm trying to do. It's the opposite. And you make people prepared for hell. Now, Paul is going into Galatia. And he has... This is the way you don't want to do it. But now you and I have to join with Paul in the same tension as we go into our world to do what Paul had to do. And Paul would have to do this. And you and I have to do this if we're going to share the good news. What Paul would have to do was he would have to explain to some pagan religion, why should I be listening to the Jewish Old Testament? What's that got to do with anything? I don't have to listen to the Old Testament. And indeed, a lot of Christians today don't pay attention to the Old Testament. But he'd have to say that the narrative of God begins with Genesis and the Pentateuch and helping them understand the foundation that there would be one who would be the one that would redeem those who left the garden. And that the separation that would come from the fall They would have to understand the biblical background that God had his people in captivity and he rescued them and he promised them a Messiah and the Messiah has come. But he'd have to begin to set up a base for their understanding. Two, he'd have to say, well, wait a minute. If he is the Messiah, why would God kill the Messiah? That's the mystery of the ages because they didn't understand that this Messiah would be one who would die. And yet, remember back in what Paul would say at the beginning of Galatians, this one, this Messiah would come not just to help you get morally straight, to, to make you righteous. He would give himself for what purpose? For your honor? For your, for your obedience? He would reward you for your righteousness? No. He would give himself for our sins. Who's going to give themselves to a mess? Who's going to come into the real cancerous evil of our souls? Who's going to do that? Who's going to rescue you from the damaging influences that are destroying your humanity? This one would. He would give himself for our sins. And that unique ministry of Christ sets him apart from all other religions. No other God would die for their people. No one. And yet, that's what Paul was saying. Because of this one who is dying, who gave himself for me, uh, I wanted to explain how that set me free. And that's the personal testimony that Paul say, I become a Messiah man. I used to persecute the church, but now I understand 
He gave himself for me. And I will give myself back to him. You see, there are two types of proselytes. One was, we'll, we'll take a little bit of religion and we'll just do everything but that circumcision. <laughs> and the other one, we'll do everything and we'll just conform to the whole law. Paul says, you don't have to do any of those because the events of this Messiah completely changed everything. And this Christ would integrate the social, the political, the cultural, the religious by declaring the Shema. This Christ is the one who gave himself for you, period. There is no other God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Not just, not just for the uh, nation of Israel, but we would hear that. They would hear that. This is our God. But the word God, as they would understand the word El, is El Elyon, the most high God, El Echad, the one God, El Olam, the everlasting God, Elohim. These, the, these words, El Shaddai, th- there is no one higher than the one who died on the cross. And therefore, Paul would say to the Galatians, Hear, O Galatia, the Lord is our God. And Paul opened up that messianic promise. And this monotheistic, one worshiping of this one God becomes the tension. So to to grab this, to understand Paul's zeal, let me give you a test. You may have heard this before. What one verse in the Old Testament is the most quoted verse in the New Testament? This verse, every Jewish person would understand just like this. Any part of the verse would call to mind all of the verse. What's the most quoted verse in the New Testament? You're behind the mask. It's this one. Do you recognize it? Hebrews would. The Lord, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord. Notice those words. The Lord, L, capital, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the personal name of God. Says to my Lord, capital L, little O, little R, little D. Yahweh, personal name, Adonai, position of respect, sir, Lord, master. The personal God says to the Messiah, you sit at my right hand. You sit down. After you've ascended to the heaven, Christ stood at the right hand, and he, God the Father said to Jesus, you sit down, because I'm going to stand up. When the Father stands up, he says, I am going to make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And the Lord Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. This one would become the Lord of the nations. What Paul understood was that the God he worshipped was not just the monotheistic God of Israel. It was not just the one, one among many ways to worship There is only one one way 
to God. There's only one truth, one Lord. And therefore, Paul came to a reckoning that this is not my God. He is our God. He is the God of the universe. He is the Redeemer. And by reckoning that, he would recognize where he fit in relationship with that, and he'd have to realign not only Paul's thinking, but the whole thinking of the Gentiles, because anybody who comes to Christ would go through the same process of leaving behind the former manner of life, the former thinking what you think, and get this revelation about who this Messiah is. And realigning myself with the Messiah, there's something that takes place when the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is not, there's no liberty. And therefore, Christ is coming to rule over any enemy that's blocking that worship. And that's primarily done through the relationships in the kingdom. Well, Paul had a work to do. Because Paul was starting with a pagan, pantheistic uh, culture that had everything going, except here he comes with this risen Christ. And so it's not the way to win friends and influence people to say, we have the true God and yours is false. That's not the way it works. And yet that's exactly the truth, the exclusive claim when Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. If you don't come through me, there is no other God because there are no other gods. They're social constructions. They're they're cultural icons. And you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you can believe and worship whatever you want to worship, but there is no other God. And so when Paul says, this God who came... It, through the cosmos, he, he interfered, he interrupted, he intervened to bring you back by taking away the sins that block you and you worship some other false god. And there's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in that. The same challenge for you and me is the same one that Paul had because we meet not people who fall in line with religion. We, they fall out of everything. No thanks, Paul. Don't need it. Got my life under control. Uh, yeah, I can handle it very well. I don't need what you think. I don't need Christ to be religious. I, I prefer the spiritual. You know what I mean? I want to be... Well, one with me. <laughs> this, this idea of having to take the Lord of the universe who created you, who redeemed you, who gave himself for your sins, who wants to liberate and rescue you, this former manner of life, our former thinking, that we've kind of discarded the Lord in his entire existence, and we turned our back. If Jesus is the light, and I'm facing this way, what do I see? All I see is shadow and darkness. But if I turn around and I find Christ, he's the light of the world. And what happens to the darkness? It's it's not my focus. So if I focus on El Shaddai, the Er Kankana Adonai, if I focus on Christ, I'm set free from my former manner of life. And this was the call for Paul. As we understand that the Hebrew people as a nation, 
they, they came out of a polytheistic group, but they came to worship the one and only God. They came to know that Yahweh is the living God, not just a construct or belief. But they would understand that, yeah, there were other gods there, but those other gods were really not any other gods because they wouldn't do anything for the people. But through Moses and through Joshua and through David, they learned about this God of power. Through Elijah, you see... Baal couldn't even rescue himself. So why defend a God that's not able to defend himself? But the Hebrew people did not promote uh, Yahweh among the nations as the one true God. They they didn't want to uh, pre, uh, promote and they didn't want to prevent. If somebody wanted to come and join them, okay, that's fine. If you want to join us, because it's not really about it's really not about God. It's about being part of our culture. It's about being part of Israel. And that nationalistic thinking was what they began to worship. We worship being the people that we are. And they forgot that their ideal life was not being Israel. Israel. Struggling with God. And so, again, Paul understood that the events of Jesus... This Messiah would establish the fulfillment of all the plans of the Old Testament. Paul understood that this God was the one God, the Lord of the universe. And this, would, this one belief, this one Messiah, was the Messiah, the Lord of everyone, who was putting his enemies under his feet. This invasion of the cosmos, this Messiah that came through, the result is he's the Lord of all creation, not just culture. The sacred history has been fulfilled in the promised Messiah, and the important part is not the history, but it was manifested in Jesus, the Christ is Lord of all. He, has this, he is the Son, and he has the power. So as you go back and pick up the pieces, as you see Paul saying, I'm going to walk away from my culture, walk, not... Not as my identity, because he still couldn't walk away from that. But what he put together was that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was more than salvation for the Jews. He understood that, that Jesus Christ was going to bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles as well. And the focus was not just about salvation. It was about Shema. Hear, O Israel. Our God, our Lord is their God and their Lord, and Christ came for everyone. Well, with that, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and he says, I've got the gospel for the Gentiles. And so as they understood Peter, James, and John there in Jerusalem, and Barnabas and Paul were up in Antioch, the Jerusalem leaders and the Antioch leaders, they got together and said, yeah, you're right. This God is on the move, and we want to support you. As you get into these issues, there was a first test that came across as Paul went to them. Guess what it was? It was a friend. Paul brought in Titus. It was the God of grace. It was the test of Titus. It was the God of grace, the gospel of Christ, strong enough, free enough, to let the former manner of life go so that this new kingdom life would say, Titus doesn't have to do 
what we did. And there's freedom when you let go of your former manner of life. And there's freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is because there's liberty. Titus had liberty. The Jewish people needed to come to understand that liberty. So there's tension. We'll get into that as we go into. Well, that's enough here for today. As you get into this, let me, let me go back to say one thing. Hear, O church, the Lord is one. Shema. And he is Lord over those who don't know him. He is Lord over those who know him. He is Lord whether you know him or not. He is Lord, and for that reason, as Allison read, every knee will bow. Every knee will one day confess Jesus as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You are Yahweh. You are El Shaddai. You are El Yon. You are the Lord of all, and all the nations will worship you. Adore him. Recognize that there is no one else you can turn to. So don't Trust on your own understanding. Christ gave Paul the freedom to run. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would just, again, take these words and make us like Paul, that our former manner of life, our constructions about how we think about you, would you lift us up out of ourselves? Father, would you come and be Lord of every thought, Lord of every emotion, Lord of the decisions. And that that which we refer to you when we call you Lord, and you say, why don't you do what I say? Lord, help us to do, to trust, to obey, and make you Lord of our lives in every, every way. Thank you that you are. Now, as Jesus, you're sitting down, Father, would you take the enemies that challenge that and put them under his feet. Help us do that for your glory and our growth, we pray. Amen. Amen.